I just haven't been afraid to ask for help. And I think the assumption that people will be generous is a much better assumption to walk in with than to be afraid of asking people for help. You gotta pick yourself up, go backwards and slam yourself at the wall like 500 more times until the wall crumbles. 25% of middle school girls already believe they'll never achieve their dream career. career. Hi, I'm Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. Hint. And you're listening to Unstoppable, a podcast spotlighting the journeys of inspiring entrepreneurs. I believe that at its core, leadership is about constantly learning from the people around you. And I'm so inspired by the conversations we're having in our upcoming episodes and can't wait to share them with you. This season, some of my guests include Rebecca Minkoff, fashion designer and founder of the Female Founder Collective, Diana Kaff, author of Girls Who Run the World, Andrew Dudham, founder of Hymns, and Eugene Rem, co-founder of Rumble Fitness, and much, much more. Plus, we ask the million-dollar question, what does it really take to be unstoppable? Let's find out. Hi, everybody. It's Kara Golden from Unstoppable with Kara Golden. And I'm here today with a very, very special guest, very excited to have Serene Noor Ali on the podcast. Hello, how are you? Hi, I'm good, Kara. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Serene is the co-founder of a, an incredible company called Visible Health. And if you aren't familiar with it, we're going to chat a little bit more about what she's up to. Serene and I actually are in this incredible list. It's called The List. And it was founded, co-founded actually by Rachel Sklar and Gwyneth. And we are super, super excited that we were able to connect here. And I love what she's doing. And so I'm super excited to just let everybody know a little bit about what she's up to. So a little bit about what's just overall what Serene has been doing and where she came from. And a little bit about, you know, overall what visible health is too. But first of all, I'm going to read a little bit about your background, which is so, so incredible. You're a graduate of Brown and Harvard, and then you started your career at the U.S. Department of State as a public servant and diplomat, helping execute President Obama's initiatives in entrepreneurship. Very, very exciting. Education and innovation in the Middle East and South Asia. That's a continuation of the first role actually. Later, she led business development for Noodle and built out the sales functions for three startup teams at Kaplan. She is a startup advisor founder of EdTech Women and on the advisory board for SXSWE. Is that how you're? <laughs> South by Southwest. Okay. I should know that. Come on. In the very least of what she does, she's a mom of two incredible little girls. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about why she created Visible Health and what she's learned along the way on the entrepreneurial journey. So welcome, welcome, Serene. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, super excited. So talk to me a little bit about Visible Health and, and what, I mean, you left really a, you know, incredible roles in, in government and decided to do this. So what was sort of the, the itch that got you to ultimately yeah. move this forward? Well, <laughs> I feel like it's a, it's a story of making lemonade from lemons. So I actually had to leave my job in 2018 at Kaplan because my daughter got diagnosed with a medical condition. 
And it became very clear that there was no way I was going to be able to work if I really wanted to find out what she needed. And so I think oftentimes when, you know, I went in being like, well, it's a medical condition, there must be a straight path of treatment and nothing could have been further from the truth. And so in the year that I ended up working on setting up her care and investigating, quite frankly, I realized that there was a ton of other parents like me who weren't getting their questions answered from the medical system. And they were turning to other parents for help. So it was anything from, you know what, my pediatrician told me to wait and see, but I, I have this like nagging feeling that my child's inability to walk is linked with the fact that they're not talking that much. What should I do? Mm-hmm. And so when I was thinking about going back to my career, I had the opportunity to join a startup generator. And at that point, it was fairly de-risked. I had already not been making money. And so I made the decision of like, let's see, like, I know that there's a market here of parents who are underserved when it comes to health information. Let me just see what happens. And what happened was I met a co-founder who became passionate about this problem after I explained to him what I had seen in the marketplace. And so that was the genesis of Visible Health. Very, very cool. And prior to this, I mean, when did you actually start Visible Health? In 2018 Um, or when you were? No, 2019, October 2019. And then we got our first set of pre-seed funds two months later. That's awesome. And so had you always been in New York or were you actually? No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I moved to New York in uh, 2011. So now I feel like enough time has passed that I can say I'm a New Yorker. But I lived in D.C. before that when I was at the State Department, and I traveled to several different countries with the State Department. That's amazing. What do you think are some of the issues that parents have, you know, just around having kids with special needs? I mean, what what do you think above and beyond, you know, trying to find networks? Like, what do you think is, is kind of the biggest, you know, challenge? How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
no English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think, and makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Yeah, I think it depends on where they are in the journey. By the time you've sort of identified that your child has special needs, I think what you're working against is a sense of invisibility. You know, you're fighting an education system where you might not be able to get the resources you want. You're so mired in a medical system that it's not clear to you which specialist is really in charge of your child's care. And you've already had the realization that actually, as a parent, you're in charge of your child's care. And that's really tough. And on top of that, you have the social aspect, right? I hear stories from parents all the time about how 
their kids can't get play dates with anyone because they don't understand what their child is going through. And I think of all the stories that I've heard, it is that component of the social lack of social connection that's the most heartbreaking. If you're in the beginning of the journey, it's also very scary because you're a new parent, you think something might be challenging your child, but you're not getting the information you need. And so you're going to WebMD, you're going to Dr. Google, and what do they, all of them say, go to your doctor. And you're like, well, I just went to my doctor. <laughs> like, what are you offering me in terms of additional information? And so that's a very scary, uncertain point too, but you're not so seasoned that you know where to go to yet. That's interesting. And so it's primarily parents or like who's ultimately crowdsourcing into this? Yeah, it's parents. So one of our thesis is that the more information sources you have about health, the better, as long as it's data-driven. And in that line, parents especially are really important experts because they see the longitudinal time frame of a condition, right? They're seeing it from the moment that they get concerned to hopefully the moment that it gets resolved or at least treated. And that information is not always captured by the medical system because you go in as a parent, you're not always, one, you're scared, so you're not always remembering what to write down. And Two, as a parent, you're dealing with things that sit outside the medical condition, like medicine. So like for my daughter, for example, we, she gets speech therapy. And I remember talking to our speech therapist and asking her when we were doing research, like, what, what do you wish the medical system would tell a parent? She's like, I wish parents knew that there isn't any doctor who is a specialist on speech in the early days. Like your pediatrician isn't an expert on speech. ENT, not an expert on speech. A speech therapist is an expert on speech. And so crowdsourcing parents' expertise with all these different touch points of a treatment actually gives us more data points than if we just got, let's say, a medical record. And so that's why it's so important for us to crowdsource the story from the parent and then use our matching algorithm to share that story with another parent. Interesting. Before Hint, uh, my husband's actually our chief operating officer, but before Hint, he actually came into a startup that was, he was an attorney prior in, in tech in his previous life. And there was a doctor that founded a company in the early 2000s called Z-Medics. And he actually was a colleague of my father-in-law. And so that's how they mm-hmm. met. And anyway, it was a company called Z-Medics. And what they were doing was actually taking your patient interview and your concerns. And they were asking experts from all over the world, like they had, you know, Crohn's disease, for example, like what were the additional things that you could, you know, that you should be thinking about, what additional tests, et cetera, that you should be looking at. And, you know, as these questions started coming in, they'd go out and find these experts. So there was just like... Their sort of purpose was that oftentimes, you know, you go to your local doctor and you're relying on them, but they're not really experts maybe in, you know, the thing that you're looking for or they, or, you know, they're just human, right? So they've got one opinion. And so if you could like crowdsource this and um, so anyway, it was way before it's time. I mean, this is almost, you know, it's 20 years ago when they were doing this and they ultimately ended up running into HIPAA laws and and some issues around it. And then they sold it off to the Bosch Foundation in Germany. And it's still being used. Yeah, it would be actually a really, really interesting, 
I mean, they could be potentially, you know, a great kind of partner for you to look at from a fundraising. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, it was, it was super interesting and it was great. I mean, I've talked to people about it since and they're like, wait a minute, like this telemedicine, you know, in in some respect. And it's just, you know, basically. Because you realize you you ask people a lot of questions about things, right? Totally. We instinctually go to our peers to get their opinions. And like, there's sort of like a natural vetting process that we go to. It's like, I'm going to ask this person about this. Like, I'm going to ask another mother about this because I know intuitively, like they're thinking, they're as discerning as I am, right? Yeah. And you don't have that opportunity. Like, you know, right now we can, you know, people are in Facebook groups. Like I'm on tons of parenting Facebook groups and super useful in some ways, but I'm literally up until three in the morning trying to find an answer to my question. Yeah. And then I'm like, how much do I weigh that expertise? Yeah, no, totally. You know, and like, is their child like my child? There's too much sort of like manual calculation that I have to do. And so a lot of what we're trying to do is, make it easier. I also think that another piece of this is that if there was a way to actually, you know, see if there were people that had the same issue maybe five years ago, right? So that you can actually have visibility into understanding and and comfort in sort of knowing what to expect. Because I think like that is really the fear, right? Of, you know, I I have a child that had some learning issues early on and, you know, it was, it was really hard to kind of figure yeah. out like exactly. And now, you know, she's in her last year at university and, you know, like it's all fine. Right. But right. she also learned to educate and basically, you know, stick up for herself and advocate for herself in a way that, you know, was really helpful. But again, like I wish that I would have found those parents that would have said, like, I, I don't think I found one single parent at that time when we, you know, figured this out when she was probably, you know, six, seven years old, who said, it's going to be okay, right? Yeah. Like, I'll tell you what this is 15 years from now. Like, nobody was able to sort of be that person. And, you know, you kind of fill in the blanks what the issue is, but that's ultimately what you're looking for. And again, it's only one other person's opinion on it, but it's one, and obviously things vary greatly and whatever, but I just think it's like, but imagine if you had a group of those people. Totally. Yeah. No, I think that's why I love what you guys are doing. Right. And so you want, and it's interesting because I talk to a lot of parents who say exactly what you're saying, Mm -hmm. who who are a little, you know, who are past the journey, but then look back and are saying, if I had that, that would have made me feel so much less anxious and so much more confident about the decisions I'm making. Yeah. And so, you know, we internally, Alex and I talk about being the ways for early childhood health and development. And it's very similar. Like you, you need people who are with you on the path, like slightly ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Slightly ahead and then way ahead, you know, cause a lot of the questions, once you do have your treatment plan is, well, what can I expect? And doctors, for understandable reasons, they will not answer that question for you. No matter how much you press them, they're not going to. No, it's so true. And I also found that it was, I don't know, I I feel like it also just depended on other factors. And I think that that probably varies by family as well, that it's just, 
you know, what size classroom were they in? What, you know, yeah. were, like what kind of therapy did they have? Or what, like all of those kind of issues were things that I was like really looking for. So you mentioned Alex. So Alex is yeah. the co-founder. How did you find a co-founder? So we both entered the same startup generator program called Antler. Okay, <laughs> called Antler. awesome. And, you know, I went in with this idea of like, there's a market here that was, you know, I had done market making for, you know, after my state department career in tech startups. And he had left Squarespace looking to do something that was mission driven and related to children. And so it was literally the perfect match. We were the first two people in our cohort of a hundred people to actually start working together. A lot of other founders like broke up and, got, and like found other founders, but Alex and I started working together and it's been a really amazing partnership ever since. That's awesome. And have you had to raise money for, yep. yeah, for the, that's great. And how has that gone? It's good. So Antler is one of our investors and we were also one of only two teams to get investment from New Lab down in Brooklyn, the innovation um, and tech center in Brooklyn. And so we're very proud of that. And then in Q4, we'll be going out for our sort of next pre-seed seed round. And it's going fine. I mean, I think it's an interesting environment to be raising money. We're having good conversations with VCs that we really like. And I and VCs who appreciate that what we're trying to do is have impact that is aligned with the business model. And so that is an, it's an exciting time to be an entrepreneur because there's just more broad embracing of that kind of model. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. So what do you think is, I mean, what lessons would you give to the tech entrepreneur. I mean, we're we're talking about this on hopefully the heels of uh, ending the the COVID yeah. situation. We're not quite sure, but what advice would you be giving to entrepreneurs right now who are you know kind of in this same you know zone at the moment? Like whether it's I mean, it sounds like you're in a pretty good spot in terms of you raised money, right? So you're able to yeah. kind of build on on that. You're not sort of out of cash at the moment and coming into this, but what, what advice would you give knowing what you know today? Well, one very tactical thing would be just like work your network. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've gotten a lot of amazing advice from people just by reaching out to them and telling them what I'm doing. So we have someone from WebMD who has given us like really great feedback. I can't think of anyone who's a product manager. And that was actually from EdTech Women, a network that I created myself. I was just sort of trying to talk about other people's accomplishments. And I said, oh, by the way, I'm doing this. And the, you know, that sort of came out of nowhere. Someone else I reached out to just helped me get the lay of the land. I knew a little bit about the VC sort of landscape, but not enough to really go out on my own. And I really did need mentorship in that space. And so a lot of people have been more than happy to spend 45 minutes with me and share their like 10 years of experience and it saved me days. And so I just haven't been afraid to ask for help. And I think the assumption that people will be generous is a much better assumption to walk in with than to be afraid of for asking people for help. I think that's so, so key. I tell people the exact same thing. And I think what I'm also hearing from you is that you walked into this with like a purpose, obviously, and you were like trying to solve this problem. And you just thought if I can actually get the word out, maybe I can, you know, really solve this problem for a lot of other people. But 
you know, I, I talk about this all the time. I, you know, with the founding of Hint that I was, I didn't have any experience in the food and beverage industry. And I had been a vice president and at AOL and, you know, I was managing a bunch of people and, you know, had sort of like was kind of at the top of my game. And then all yeah. of a sudden I decided to lug cases into Whole Foods and try and get it on the shelf. And you know, <laughs> my it. friends, I'm sure you had the same thing. Like people are like, wait, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? And, you know, and all of that. And I love the idea, or, or I should say I was okay with the idea of not really knowing everything. Like people would come to me and ask me to make decisions and teach them and everything. Right. And all of a sudden I'm in like the student role, right? Where I'm yes. learning all these things and I'm like just reaching out to anybody who would talk to me in, you know, lots of different industries. It sounds like the same for you, yeah. you know, and I still like want to be learning. Like part of the yeah. reason why we launch deodorant and launch all these new things is my need for like, you know, not to be done learning, right? And I yeah. feel like that is, totally. you know, the perfect entrepreneurial story because when I hear entrepreneurs say in my space, like, when can I stop going in the back room and, and merchandising, you know, product? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> never. Like that, I mean, yeah. I've been through this whole COVID. I've been spending every day, I'm going into stores to help the sales team so that they can call on less stores. And so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going into one or two stores and, you know, I go in early in the morning and late and later at night in order to avoid crowds. But part of that's to help my team. But part of that also is to have my, you know, eyes and ears yeah. on making sure that it's safe, you know, for the employees yeah, and, and all of that. But I think that it's also just the curiosity side of this. And I think it exactly applies, I was about to say the same word. Yeah. Yeah. To every industry, which is like, you know, that's, it's really think, awesome. Uh, yeah. Say. I have not been this engaged with my work maybe ever. Like, if I could, I would be working 24 yeah. seven, like with joy, not yeah. because I had to, but like, I genuinely love what we're doing. And I understand the road is going to be hard. And that's okay. Because, you know, every time, you know, I sort of walked into this being like, there's a market, there's a market, there's a market. And proving that to multiple people gave me such deep satisfaction that it will probably stay with me with for the rest of my life. And now, when I talk to parents, and Alex and I talk to parents, and we hear these pain points, I think it just drives us so mm -hmm. much more. And then the more you talk, the more pain points you see. And so, like, even testing with messaging has been a huge evolution. Like, I thought I had it right, like, six weeks ago. And I probably think I have it right today. And I know I don't have it right. But it was, like, simple. Like, we were sort of talking about parents of children with developmental delays. And then this week, we were testing messaging on have you ever been told by your pediatrician to wait and see? And did you decide not to? And like that hit a nerve with so many people. And like, even that's interesting. So what does that say about this person's emotional journey? Yeah. No, right. It's and super, how super right? interesting. Yeah. How do you use social media to kind of attract people and let people know what you're doing? So we're still fairly early days on that. Right now we've been trying to engage on Facebook and it's confirming what our one of our initial 
um, hypothesis was, which was that parents would willingly give us medical information on their child. We've proven that many times over and Facebook is the way that we did it, right? Because what's happening on Facebook is that there are parents who have a lot of questions and are looking for sort of peer emotional support that it supersedes their fear about putting private data on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Who owns that data, mm-hmm. right? And so that is a very interesting case study for us because part of it is like, how many, like, do you, like, I don't put that much information about my family mm-hmm. on Facebook, but that sort of shows you the need. I think what we're trying to figure out is where else can we start getting in front of these parents? And I think it is actually more broadly parent facing media and mom media. Whereas initially I thought it would be more, more segmented. And of course we have our own persona about that parent, but I think we need to go fairly broad. You know, it's interesting. I'm pretty, in the last year and a half, I've gotten really active on Twitter and um, I love Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn, but I've gotten really active on Twitter and I think that it it is a huge untapped market for what oh really for what you want to do. Like it's it's just amazing how many people have these you know things that they're trying to figure out. And there's so many people who I've there's so many resources. I mean, this is a crazy crazy sort of analogy, but I had an issue with my math that I've been trying to figure out for the last two days where the sound on videos on my YouTube and on my LinkedIn, just like it wouldn't come through. Did everything, like I was like troubleshooting it. I was looking all over the internet, couldn't find it. Finally at like four o'clock yesterday afternoon, I said on Twitter, hey, I've got this problem and no sound coming out of these videos and it's coming out of Spotify, you know, for audio, it's not coming out of the videos. In 45 seconds, I had two programmers who sent me code to fix the problem. And I was kind of like, okay, all right. One of them is like, I looked at his profile. He had 35,000, you know, users and he was an engineer. And then another one was like, worked with Apple and anyway. That's amazing. No, it was amazing. And then they told me like they had, I can barely code, but this was even much more advanced than I was even capable of. And so they told me, hit the toolbar, do this, do this, wipe it. I'm like, oh my God, like it worked. Like this is just, and again, it's the crowdsourcing. I'm also working on an initiative that I told the list about for clean water. And I have learned so much from people on Twitter as I announce this stuff. Like, I'm like, I'm looking, you know, to really understand what's going on in Newark, you know, and people are like, oh, here's some data, here's this, here's this, and it's amazing. And then, you know, I'll also have people oftentimes DM me about very personal stuff that they didn't, they saw my question. And I just like, I mean, I love Twitter so much for that reason that I just feel like they're there and they don't get credit for it because you always hear that there's the trolls and there are those people, but there's also these people where you, they really kind of, I think they can be a little more sophisticated too, if that makes sense. Not to say that Facebook isn't, but I bet you would find a pretty interesting audience. We should. Yeah, we should. Yeah. We've never, I've never quite cracked Twitter. 
I hadn't either. And I had a guy that worked for me a couple of years ago who just loved it. And he was, he was really the one that kind of showed me. And, you know, now, I mean, it's funny. I was on the phone with Twitter the other day, they reached out to me and they're like, we use you as an example all the time of like, and I'm like, me? I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Like I was just, I said, I just asked questions like this and, you know, and I'll wake up on Monday morning and I'll be like, oh, first 10 people to DM me, like get a case of hint or, and I mean, people are like, yay, you know, like I'll do But the fact that it's not so, you know, like premeditated in a plan makes it even better. That's probably why you're so good at it. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, I'll do stuff, I'll show, you know, stuff that we do on hint and you know, and this, I mean, we'll show components of this on it too, and to get people into the podcast as well. But I just, I don't know, I think that's my pitch for Twitter. Like, I think it's really like, it's a place where, especially if you're searching, and you're trying to crowdsource people, I think there's a lot of parents on there that, you know, have reached out to me, especially being an an entrepreneur who has children, people have reached out to me saying, fascinating. yeah, that they've, you know, been trying to solve this issue. And yeah, so anyway. I, I will, so. we will do it. You know, it's funny because I am not super active on any social media before yeah. I started this business. I just had like the people in my network on Facebook, but now I've had to think a little bit more about actually being visible and what that means and like how many people do you need. But also we're very sensitive to my daughter's story. You know, it's like, it's a little bit ironic. We have a company that's crowdsourcing stories. And then I am very cautious of what I tell people because it's also the fine line of like wanting her to tell her story, you Mm -hmm. know? But so social media is still something I'm new at in a way. Yeah. No, it's an interesting, look, it's, it's an interesting, it's the entrepreneur's dilemma, the founder's dilemma, because especially if you have a purpose and, you know, you're trying to figure out exactly who owns that purpose too, right? Yeah, like Like you, I mean, you're synonymous with Hint, like I literally can't think of one without the other. Yeah. Like it, and so that's a huge success, I think. I think that's what we should all be aspiring to do. So yeah. But it's my story. But it's like, it's my story. And so I totally understand where you're coming from. But I also think that this is also a story of, you know, parents and, you know, and people in trying to solve problems. So I think that's like, and trying to solve problems for kids, right? Not just your child too. Like, I think it's solving, solving. And that's sort of fun because I think people are really compelled to give their story if it helps someone else. There's a lot of positive thumb game in this. And it's really, really beautiful. Like when people go on the phone with us and we're like, try to explain what they do. And we say, you know, it's anonymous. You don't have to put your name on. And some people are like, no, I want my story out there. If it helps one child, I will do anything. And so, you know, we get to talk to these parents. And I think, you know, one of the things I think about a lot is when I talk about them, what I wish people would know about parents who might otherwise be hidden to their communities or peers is how commanding they are of what the hell is going on with the medical system. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's almost like they, when you hear them talk, it's like, are you sure you're not a doctor? Because they've immersed themselves so much in trying to steer and navigate their child's care that it is hard to see them as anything but an expert with a lived condition. I don't know if that makes sense. No, yeah, it totally does. I mean, I think it's frightening. Right. So it's really frightening. So 
you worked for President Obama and read that he recognized you as, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like how amazing, were you surprised on that day? I mean, that must have been just so Well, I was surprised. It It was at a small event. And yeah, I told him, I got to tell him what I did. And he's like, thank you so much for your service. And it was about a specific project that we had worked on that was high profile. And so that was really fun. And at that point, I was like, I'm done here. Like, I can go. I can go start a new career. And so shortly after, I actually did leave. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually worked under NACI. I don't know if you knew that. So, and I was, yeah, so under Penny Pritzker. So I wasn't in the very beginning of it. I was in the last six months of the administration. And then, yeah, and then I stayed on with President Trump for not very long. And then, and then decided to exit you know, but it was, it was amazing. I still go back to it. There were 30 of us in the group and I still talk to a big chunk of those people in all different industries and really smart and ultimately trying to solve problems. Right. Which like, I thought that that was, that was like a piece of government that I really appreciated because I thought like, you know, even if I don't know, there was this one guy, Joe, who I worked with, who was very focused on coal miners or former coal miners in West Virginia and trying to figure out, like, how do we build, you know, that community back and, and figure out jobs. And, and again, like, I know nothing about coal mines. I've never lived in West Virginia. It didn't matter. Like, it was just the fact, like, talking to somebody, here's what the issues are. Here's you know, and, and we'd brainstorm, well, could we do this? Could we do this? And anyway, it was just, it was super, I would. It was incredible. That, yeah. The State Department in the government yeah. is an incredible, incredible pool of talent. I mean, the people that I worked with that worked also on the same sort of portfolio of Muslim engagement, a lot of people left. I think like one is running an entrepreneurship department at Tulane, another is a VC, several are VCs or started their own social enterprises. And so it's funny because cool. when I moved to New York, no one knew what the State Department was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then recently, right, because of the news, people are like, oh my God, you work at the State Department. That's so cool. And I had this moment at the State Department once where I was like, I don't know what had happened, but I was telling a colleague, I was like, it just struck me that this might be one of the most competitive places in the world, right? Because in the government, I was sort of used to people, like a lot of my friends were doctors or investment bankers or whatever else. And I always felt like people don't know the State Department, so it felt less elite or, you know, mm-hmm. accomplished in a way. And then I had this moment, I was like, no, the way the HR system works here, it's actually probably one of the most competitive places anywhere, Yeah. right? If you're not competing for money, so if you're not competing for money, you're competing for influence and public policy and like a lot of very cerebral stuff and proximity to the president. And so it was this like moment in my life where I was like, ah, oh, don't feel so bad for yourself. Like you're doing pretty well. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's such a great experience. When I was in high school and part of the reason why I actually stayed on with Trump, he, he eliminated a bunch of people from the group when he came on. But I had worked for Senator John McCain, actually, when he was in um, the House of Representatives, when I grew up in Arizona. And it's funny because, you know, John said something to me when I was in high school that has stayed with me forever that, you know, it doesn't matter what party you ultimately go and, and work for. And I might sort of edit that a little bit as time goes on. But he said that the learning 
of really understanding how this stuff works is incredible. It's like, you know, I think all the time about, you know, should people like go and do some kind of public service? Should they be forced to do that for like a year, whether it's, you know, working for, you know, your mayor's office or working for, you know, yeah. a congressperson or, you know, ultimately the president or whatever. Like, I think it's just, you just learn how this stuff works. And so many people yeah. just don't really understand it. It's such a valuable you know, lesson for everybody and, and skill, right? Like totally. I think about being able to, I went from the state department to doing BDN sales. I mean, like you can understand why that's like an obvious yeah. connection, but you learn to work with so many different people. Mm -hmm. And I worked in public diplomacy and public diplomacy is like similar to like what public relations and partnerships would be in the private sector, right? So you're constantly trying to get people to sort of understand your policy, foreign policy, hopefully like America, like there's just a lot of soft selling going on and it's hard. Like totally. it is much harder to sell foreign policy than it is to sell like, you know, a product that you can buy off a shelf. And so I think what living in DC and working for the government does is like, you really do have to find a way to get along with everyone to get stuff done. And yeah. that's not, you learn that by practice. You don't learn that in school. Yeah, I agree. It's a super, super valuable lesson. So that's amazing. So I ask all of our guests a couple of final questions. And one is, what makes you unstoppable? Well, I'm going I'm to borrow from you a little bit, but I think it's my curiosity. Like yeah. I, you know, there's been a lot of stuff that I probably would not have wanted for myself over the past few years, but there's a lot of learning from it. And I think positioning and just having the mentality of like, oh, there's something here that's interesting. There's, I always think that there is a lesson for me in things that are hard. And it is proven true. Like when my dad passed away and it happened before I thought it was going to happen, like there's just so many lessons of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And even thinking about my own legacy that have helped me decide to start a company and put everything that I had at risk. That's awesome. So we're actually, my podcast is obviously called Unstoppable. I have a book coming out in October called Undaunted. And so, yeah. and I see a lot of Undaunted in, in you as well, because it's <laughs> sort of this Undaunted is just, it's just going and doing it. Yeah. And being okay with like, you know, trying things and maybe they're not going to work. Maybe they're going to fail along the way, whatever. You're going different avenues and then you just keep going because it's this curiosity. Right. Yeah, yeah. You need the velocity of yeah, it. Yeah. Of it, which I which I love. And you're smiling, which is super, super awesome. And what is your favorite hint flavor? I feel like it's a toss-up. Yeah. I like the mango and the pineapple. I also really like the deodorant, I have to say. Oh, thank you. You you get bonus round over there. I don't know. I'm day. sorry. I had to take it. It's, yeah. it's pretty it's pretty amazing. It's not easy to make a product like that. Yeah, no, it's it's such a great product. So where do people find you? Find you on social? So on the social that I am on, um, it's my full name at Fairy Norley at on Instagram and Twitter. And we're migrating to a new name, hellosleuth.com in the next few weeks for Visible House. That's awesome. So I'm going to get you going on Twitter. I'm going to start okay. tagging oh, you good. and pulling you into these conversations. I would love that. Yeah, because I think it's sort of what, what's needed. And I think you bring a lot of great perspective into this as well. That would be super, super awesome. And we also talked about, so the current name is Visible Health, but you're actually making a brand change, yeah. right? And to Sleuth. And yep. 
which I think is so, a great name as well. So it'll be available at what? It'll be available at hellosleuth.com. Hello Sleuth. Okay. Yep. Wonderful. And then right now it's at Visible Health. So wonderful, yep. wonderful. Thanks so much for making time Thank to you. do this. And I'm so excited for everybody to hear your story and definitely go to visiblehealth.com and then hellosleuth.com and you know, definitely if this can co, sorry. Visiblehealth.co. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, visiblehealth.co and definitely check out what Serene is doing. So thanks Thank everybody. Yeah, it was so fun to be here. Thanks. like what you heard, please help spread the word and leave us a review. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to spotlight? Please talk to me at Kara Golden on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be unstoppable. unstoppable.